Yay, we're back. Welcome to another episode of Float Your Boat. Float. That was a pathetic attempt at... Let's try it again, George. Go. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Float Float Your Your Boat. Boat. Was that better? That's better. I'm George Sabados, and you are? Brett Pattinson. Okay, so who do we have on today, Brettie boy? Today we have... The lovely Heather Hawkins. Tell us a little bit about the Hawk of Bondi Mark II, or should I say version one? Her husband's probably Mark II. We had Doug Hawkins on a, a couple of weeks ago. Correct. And now we're interviewing his wife. Now, what's remarkable about his wife? In 2007, um, Heather, something happened to Heather which changed her life forever. And um, since then, she's become an ultra marathon runner amongst many other things she's trekked the himalayas she's circumnavigated the the globe running she's done the hardest of all ultra marathons which i guess she'll tell us about um and she's about to launch her book well uh, without uh, any with further ado we should uh, we should get her in yeah is that it Oh, well, I thought you were going to say something funny. No, it's remarkable. I mean, it's, it's you know, I mean, why would you do ultra marathons? Uh, I, I'm, I, it, it boggles my mind. I can't, I can't, I don't feel comfortable running running a couple of kilometres, let alone, uh, you know, 100 or 150 or 200 on the hop. And um, and she's been remarkable in that in that sense, mm. kind of like, um, you know, the Forrest Gump experience. She once she put on her running shoes and discovered running, she hasn't stopped. Well, let's find out what um, what has driven her to that and what her, you know, her goals for the future are, I guess. Fantastic. Let's get her in. Okay. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Hello Heather and welcome to our studio. Thank you very much. It's a a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say hello? (laughs) You're you're a bit rude. I'm just lowering the mic a little bit because I can't see Heather and I'm looking around the mic. Well, you're like... Hello, Heather. You're like... Hello. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm going really well. Yes, well, you you shouldn't be be sitting very low in your chair. You you look to me like Dickie Knee. (laughs) But it's actually your chair's just very high. Okay. (laughs) All right. Heather... Heather, we we've have we have a um, you know a wonderful mutual friend. He happens to be your husband. Yes, we do. <laughs> and and he spoke very highly of you, and that's why we we got you in. I mean, once we once I looked you up on on your Facebook page and and got the backstory on you, I thought, wow, we had we had to get you in. Now, now it, you have you've had a, a bit of an amazing life experience in what the last nine years would you say that's right yes yeah since 2007 life changed dramatically for me so <laughs> would you tell like us, tell yeah. us about what happened in in 2007 yeah so in um just before christmas in 2006 
life was humming along. I was a busy uh, mum with two kids, mm-hmm. uh, running our own business with my husband. Just and a professional woman. Yes, yeah, just like every other, you know, hardworking Aussie mum. And I just started to notice some changes. I was getting tired. Uh, my abdomen was swelling. Um, just wasn't feeling right. And as that Christmas uh, period went over, um, I then got into, you know, January and February and I thought there is definitely something wrong here. I look like I'm, you know, about five months pregnant and that should not be the case. Yes. Yes. So I made an appointment uh, with our local GP on the Monday. He he looked at me and he said, Heather, I think I better send you to have a, a CAT scan. So uh, I did. Fortunately, I was able to get in straight away, get the results that afternoon. And uh, that was basically when my life changed because they found a large tumour on my, um, my right ovary. Uh, and so life stopped <laughs> wow. and we had to regroup. And that, from that moment on, it was about going from being a normal everyday mum to suddenly being faced with, am I going to survive this? Am I going to be here next year? Will I see my kids grow up? Yeah, where does life go to from here? Mm. I mean, just looking at you whilst whilst you were saying mm. that, it, it obviously um, still fills you with with emotion. Oh, I mean, it it does. What did you feel at the time? I think all of a sudden you you're just faced with your mortality, and I was forty one at that stage, thinking mm. I still had you know all those years stretching out ahead of me. And uh, and I guess as a parent, you just dread that you're not going to be there for your kids. Um, But then from that fear that you first feel, it then pulls up the courage inside and you think, well, I'm going to fight this. It's not going to defeat me. And that's how I approached it with our family. But that's obviously something that's inherent in you. I mean, there are lots of people who crumble, Mm. but you found the courage within to, to step up. And so what? What did you do? Yeah. So I, I was um, basically referred to go and see a surgeon. And fortunately, within a week's time, I was having a complete hysterectomy, had the tumour removed. Fortunately, it was found stage one. I mean, it was 18 centimetres. Wow, um, that's a big what, in, in stage in one? Size, so that grew dramatically. It grew phenomenally. Wow. Uh, and, and it weighed over one kilo. It was just an oh incredibly Lord, aggressive, wow. fast tumour. But fortunately for me, it was c- contained within a cyst, a cyst wall. And right. that was an incredible blessing because that kept it contained. Therefore, it didn't spread didn't to, my abdo- yes, yeah, right. to my abdomen. Wow. So, wow. Amazing. So, you know, to, to hear that news and to hear that... Yeah, I, I really had been saved from yeah, a terrible, um, I guess, future. <laughs> um, that really spurred me on to make yeah, the most of life from here on. So that was the first step in, in a new journey for you and, and, and what a journey it's, it's been. That yes. <laughs> what was the next, the next step, I guess, after you'd had the chemo and had the hysterectomy, that sort of thing? What was the next step after that? Yeah, well, amazingly, because it was found stage one, I was able to to um, to go on a new surveillance program. So instead of going down the traditional conventional pathway of chemotherapy, I was able to go on a program where you just go in for regular bloods, have regular scans, and yeah, and they basically keep an eye on you. And if there's any sign of the cancer returning, then you would go and have chemo. So fortunately, ten years later there is no sign of the cancer returning. So I've been able to avoid having chemotherapy with all its side effects uh, and just get back into life and get well and healthy pretty much straight away after surgery. But in those um, 
early days, the darker days, mm. what what did you do to to keep yourself positive, focused on moving forward? Um, you know, how did you deal with that? Yeah, lots of walks at the beach, uh, lots of chats <laughs> with family, and then I became a surf lifesaver. I decided to do something that would push my boundaries, get me out of my comfort zone, and it was something that I was going to do with a, a, another, you know, few women from the Coogee Surf Club, that we'd been mums with our kids in nippers, so we decided to sign up together. And that, that honestly put me on the pathway of getting fitter and being okay with, you know, paddling huge rescue boards mm. and learning rescue techniques and going further out into the waves than what I'd ever, ever been before. We, we, in, when you were doing that, were you still feeling unwell? Like, you know, was it, or, or had you got past that? Yeah, I could still find that I, I would tire quickly. Mm. Um, and I ended up getting bronchitis the week before the final exam. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I'd obviously pushed myself way too hard. Obviously, my reserves weren't, you know, back up to speed. But, you know, you, you aim up. And I, I remember on that day, I, I didn't feel crash hot, but I thought I'll get out there and I'll do my 200 metre run, my 200 metre swim, 200 metre run. Uh, and get through it all. And I was just so elated that this was something really positive all, this, all of a sudden in my life that I'd, I'd achieved. And that then sent me off into a whole new world following that. But Heather, I, I, I presume a hysterectomy is a major operation. Mm. And how soon after your operation were you becoming a lifesaver? So that was two years. It was exactly two years. Two years. And, yeah. and did you feel, I mean, I, I know this... It's going to sound like an odd question, but did you feel different? Like, I mean, did I mean, how did it affect you in 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 the physical sense? I guess I was just so relieved to have the cancer gone. Initially, I didn't think too much about losing all those bits, but I kind of feel lighter, <laughs> and I guess I don't right. have to worry about all those women's things now because that's it; that's all gone. Um, so in that respect, that enabled me to yeah, to get back, get uh, well again, get my strength back, and I just felt ready yeah to live life to the full. Yeah, I mean that was a big wake up call for you, right? Oh. So that was your aha moment. Yes. And and I guess I guess you know you had a lot of thoughts at that time pop you know circulating in your head. But the predominant one was get on with life. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. So how did you get on with <laughs> life after life-saving? <laughs> so I decided to sign up for a 4K uh, run, a fun run called the Mother's Day Classic. Had you and run before? Never run before, apart from primary school, and I was a sprinter. Were you always, were you always lean like you are now? No, I, I was probably, you know, a size 12 um, right. in my early 20s. Right. Um, and then, yes, I guess with the exercise now that I, I'm doing, yeah, I'm definitely down to a size 8. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I had never run and I barely exercised from, you know, mid-high school on. I did some really bad aerobics in the 80s. Um, you know, a bit of... Let's get physical. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, oh, well, everyone wants to forget that yeah. era. <laughs> I, I can't imagine you in that leotard. No, no, it didn't look good. <laughs> uh, yes, but apart from that, nothing. 
and I'd never run any distance whatsoever. So to sign up for a 4K run was just big. (laughs) What got into your head to sign up for a run? I mean, there would have been a thousand other things you could have done. Knitting, for instance. I know. (laughs) Marathon knitting. (laughs) Now there's an idea. (laughs) Yeah, it was just something that um, I thought would be fantastic and it was raising funds for breast cancer awareness. And I thought, brilliant. And it would be something I could do with our our two kids, Beck and Cal. Mm. Uh, So that's that's what really prompted me to sign up. You mean you wanted them to run with you? I did. Well, how old were they? So they were, let's see, 16 and uh, 14 at that stage. Well, more than capable. more than capable. They were doing cross-country at school. So they were giving me some tips. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So so how'd you... How'd you fare? How'd you go? <laughs> I went really well. I mean, that initial run when I was training, I had four weeks to train. Mm-hmm. And I didn't own a pair of good runners. I didn't have any running gear. So I rummaged in the wardrobe, found an old pair of gardening shorts, an old stripy T-shirt, and some really old, stiff white runners. And uh, fronted up to the park with Beck and Kel at Centennial Park. And a circuit of that is about 4K. Yeah. So off we, we went. Started off okay, got to about the halfway mark, and I honestly, I had, yeah, I had had it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to have a sit down. I was seeing stars. I was so hot and sweaty. Hmm. Uh, but I kind of jogged, walked the remainder of the, the amount, and then came back to the park the next day and what? did a little better and just kept pushing until I felt much better and fronted up on that Sunday morning of Mother's Day to run the run. What? So you trained daily? You didn't even give your body a rest in between sessions? No, because I was worried that I'd get to the no, Mother's Day time. Classic and I couldn't make it. So there was just something within me thought, I can't fail this. I really want to give it my best shot. So I'm going to put in as much training as I possibly can. So I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, what is it inside you that pushed mm. you on? Because this is leading us to the big part of this story. Yeah. So was there something in that run that triggered something? It was. I guess for me, it was sort of, I guess, pushing back at being defined by cancer. I thought I want to get on with life, close that door, and and. Just try and be the best possible me, be as fit as I can and just enjoy every day. And so therefore I didn't want to fail. I'd signed up for this and I thought, I'm going to give it, you know, my best shot. And, and I found that I, I kind of stumbled into running that, yeah, it had never occurred to me before that this would be something that I'd, I'd love so much. And yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, I found that I absolutely loved it. So you did the fun run. Yeah. You made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> And then you had an epiphany, okay, I'm going to do an ultramarathon, or (laughs) were we leading towards that? We steadily built. So after that, I signed up for the City to Surf, which was, you know, a good three, three or so months after. Absolutely love that. And... Then that was, so that was August. And then I thought, you know what, if I can do 14K, I reckon I can do 21K, a half marathon. So I signed up for the Sydney half marathon that year. So this was back in 2012. And yeah, I I managed to get to the finish line of that. I was exhausted. Hmm. But again, I thought another stepping stone. All right, 21K. If I can do 21K, I reckon I can do a full marathon. So I aimed up and in 2013, I ran a full marathon. Which is that? So that was the, so that's 42.195 Ks. And that was the Sydney Marathon. 
I get tired driving that far. <laughs> he just discovered he just discovered walking a couple of months ago. <laughs> I think of how much petrol you can save. Exactly. Yeah. Well, your own petrol is, is a bit. Yeah. <laughs> But that's an yeah. amazing leap in the space of a, a year. It wouldn't have mm. been – I don't yes. think it was 12 months. It was shorter than that, wasn't it? It would would have been from the 4K, it would have been about a year and a half or a year. year and a bit. Yes, okay. yes. From, yes. from 4K from 4K to 4K. 42 and a half. Yes. And you made that one. I made that one. And what I love doing is dedicating every run I do to someone or some some cause. And so that is what sort of propels me along, you know, during the tough times of the race where perhaps your legs are getting really fatigued or you're just so hot and sweaty and all you want to do is just, you know, have a sit down. Mm. That's what encourages me along and gives me purpose to the run and gets me to the finish line. Well, let's talk about let's let's talk about the the cycle of emotions you go through during a run. Yes. Okay. So, in the lead up to the starting point, how do you feel when you're preparing for the for the race and how do you feel on race day? And how do yeah. you feel during the course of the run once the gun goes off? Yes. Look, it's an incredible mix of emotions. You know, you, you sign up for a race and you go, yes. And then you go, oh, my goodness, what have I just signed up for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then throughout all the training, yes, it's, it's your focus. You know, you're just thinking, you know, picturing what it's going to be like on race day, how I'm going to be. Uh, and it's all that foundation work that you do in your training then means how successful and how much you enjoy the race on the day. Right. Uh, and I, I love that preparation. And uh, and then, yeah, on race day, generally you're up bright and early, you know, might be half past four or five o'clock to get to the race um, start because they usually start pretty early, mm. say 7 or 7.30. Uh, and I just love that whole cam- camaraderie when you're at the race line. You don't know anyone, but, you know, you're always having a chat, you know, you're warming up together. And yeah, the starter's gun goes and off you go. And that's that sense of freedom. You know, you're flying on your feet. The race is stretching out in front of you. You feel really good. <laughs> then generally, as time goes on, if it's, a, if it's a good day, you feel pretty okay throughout the race and you kind of manage your race nutrition and, and drink at the drink stations. Other times, you know, you can get to about 32K and hit the wall and have a shocker of a race. Right. And that's where I guess the you know, that's where your true grit kicks in because you can then either, you know, quit or you can keep going. And, yeah, to the, today, you know, to this point, I've, I've never pulled out of a race, even though I have felt really bad. I have hit the wall. Mm. But there's just something within you that says, OK, well, let's just take an extra race gel. Let's just walk through, you know, the next 100 metres to that next light pole and then we'll pick it up from there. And I always find, you know, within a few minutes, you start to feel better. You can pick up your run again and you make it all the way to the finish line. And that elation of crossing that line mm. is just so, so worth it. I, yeah. I, I, um, I often wondered why really good marathoners were in, their, in the latest stage of their life. Yes. Um, and that has a lot to do, I think, with the development of mental tenacity yeah. But what what happens around the thirty kilometre mark physiologically? Like, what is it that that, that what is that wall that people hit? Yes. What is that? I think it's it's a natural response. The body is going. Look, we've run far enough. I reckon it's time, you know, to give yourself a rest. Mm. It is. It's obviously you've you've burnt up your your fuel and you're starting to work on your reserves. 
and and it really is that mental capacity that enables your body then to kick back in um, and get you through to the finish line. And so that's why they say, yeah, it's it's generally the older runners that fare much better than mm. the very young ones. Mm. And now a word from our sponsors. This is about the four hundredth take, listeners. <laughs> this is our uh, this is our um, for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joe. Yes, Mungrel Joe. So, hey, Brett, what keeps you going? I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett. But uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. Ah, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, our proud sponsor. Yes, that deep, rich, tasty and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten, and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. (laughs) It brings out the mongrel in you. God, seriously, folks. Seriously, folks. Mungle <laughs> That's my line. No, That's your line. <laughs> Mungle Joe's is the best taste experience ever. It's 100% Australian. And not only is it a performance coffee, it's strong and smooth. Like me, of course, George. <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth. The world's greatest coffee. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Jump online at mungrelejoes.com.au and give it a shot. Excuse the pun. No, 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 you didn't have to say that. Well, it's you printed it on the page, you're on, You're on fire, Brent. I am on we fire. We could have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put put it, put it in a discount code, float your boat, and you will get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat, one word. If you love coffee, you should try Mungle Joe's. I'm telling you, folks. Aside from this great script that George wrote. <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> anyway, listeners, Mungrel Joe's, it's, it's the best. So you've you've done a lot of marathons. Yes. But there's been a couple of mm. major major marathons that not many mm. people on this yes, planet like have, you... have, have, <laughs> have participated in. Yes. I, I was reading your bio. I'm like, oh man. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> like, what a, is a marathon this is crazy. A, a, marathon, a marathon is a marathon in itself. In and of itself is crazy enough. Forty-two point one nine five kilometres, yes. whatever that was. But, <laughs> but you decided to take it to another level. I tell did. Us, tell us about that. The next one. Yes. Yeah. Now this was on a whim. Was it? How did <laughs> it, it was. come about? Came about. Uh, a friend of mine. We were standing at the start line of the Melbourne Marathon, and he just happened to mention this. It was a throwaway line. He said, "You know what?" have you heard about marathons that are run on ice? And I looked at him as if he was mad. And I said, run on ice? What do you mean? He said, you know, Antarctica. I spent that entire marathon not thinking about anything else but about running in Antarctica. So um, from that, I, you know, I sent off an email to the race organisers and unfortunately there weren't any places available in the Antarctic marathon. So I kind of filed that one away. And then it was my 50th birthday coming up in April 2015 and also our 25th wedding anniversary. And we were heading to Paris to celebrate. 
And of course, I said to Doug, hey, maybe the Paris Marathon will be on. You know, that's something really romantic. It'll tie in perfectly. Oh, yeah, yes. really, really romantic. <laughs> like normal people yes. on their 50th and their 25th, they'd yeah. be going, let's get a really nice hotel suite <laughs> and a bottle of bubbly. But oh, no, not Heather. Oh, no. Heather says, I'm going to run a marathon. <laughs> and leave Doug behind. Leave Doug behind. That's very romantic. I know. <laughs> oh. but, um, but I left it too late to register. So Paris was full. So I went and Googled other marathons within the area and up popped the North Pole Marathon. (laughs) Just like that. Just like that. But you had never heard of it before. I mean, it's not something we hear about over here. No, no. Until I read your story. But it's quite big, isn't it, in that part of the world? It is very big over in Europe. Um, That's right. It is little known beyond, beyond those boundaries. And... It is a phenomenal, unusual, incredible race that is held on an ice floe. <laughs> I can't imagine how you'd prepare for something like that. I mean, we're talking about minus 40 degree yeah. days. Yes. That, and it's run in the middle of winter, is that correct? It's run, uh, it's in April, so it's kind of on the shoulder it's season. The, so right. it's still 24-hour daylight. Uh, but it is so extreme. And you're right. How on earth does a Sydney cider who lives at the beach prepare for something like that? So what I did, I, I sort of did a bit of research about hiring a treadmill and putting it in an industrial freezer. And I thought, no, nah, that's too complicated. And I don't really like running on treadmills. I like being outdoors. So I thought, you know what? Running on the soft sand is a very similar action to running on snow and ice. Right. So I took myself off to Coogee Beach and ran up and down, up and down, had a swim if I got too hot. And but you couldn't match the temperature. <laughs> no, that was the one incredible unknown. Uh, so I just bought the gear that I needed. Um, I did spend a couple of runs at the beach wearing my ski goggles, uh, looking absolutely hilariously out now of that place. Would have been a sight. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be those people walking along going, "Oh, look, another mummy, crazy! Mummy, there's a wacko on the beach. <laughs> there is <laughs> another crazy on the beach. <laughs> She's going up and down. We'll stay away from yeah. her." <laughs> Don't give her eye yeah. contact, kids. That's right. <laughs> so really it wasn't until I got up to Svalbard, which was the meeting place of everyone, mm-hmm. and had a training run in the snow there, did I really know how my gear was going to play uh, out. And, okay, okay. Mm. So, so there are a lot of practic- practical logistics that you have to get, yeah. you have to overcome. Like, <laughs> yes. Why, for example, minus 40 degree temperatures. Yes. You have to be rugged up to the max. Yeah. You sweat. Mm. And that sweat turns to ice. That's right. So, ha- but also, I mean, you're not running in running shoes, are you? Is, you there, are. An, is there an altitude thing there as well? No altitude. No? It's okay. just at sea level. Right. Uh, but we were running in trail runners. What are they? So they're they're like normal running shoes, but they're kind of like a cross between a footy boot and a running shoe. They have a bit more tread. Right. But they're so not they can actually insulated. Grip. So how do you no. keep your feet from freezing? You just wear two pairs of very thick socks. And that good was thermal it. socks, yes. <clears throat> and I did put, you know, those hand and feet warmers you can get yep. from camping stores. Yep. I did put those in my shoes, but they froze into little ice blocks. Oh, excellent! So they were not working, so I had to take them out. So I mean, <laughs> but, but, so you didn't get, you didn't suffer from frostbite. Not at all, because you're moving, you're generating heat. And mm. as you were saying about that problem of sweating, you have to balance 
your core temperature so that you do not sweat. You have to be just slightly cool. So there's, that there was way. a science involved. You had yeah, to, you you really had to had understand to. these things. So where did yes. you learn about these things? I just figured it out as I went along. <laughs> on the job. <laughs> on the job, so yes. So how many, how many kilometres was the, the race? So it was 42.195, yes. Oh, like in, yeah, really? and in sections it was, you know, up to, you know, beyond your ankle depth. Other sections, they'd, they'd graded about a, a 75 metre sort of runway towards the, the start-finish line, yep. which was heavenly to run on. That was, you know, nice and firm. But the rest was soft. out on ice and, and, ice yeah, and soft so and so jumping you, over a couple of crevasses. Did you, were you slipping? There were a couple of, yeah, I was fortunate I didn't fall, but, there, you know, a couple of times where you're stumbling and certainly icy sections where you're, you know, kind of dancing along yeah. on the ice. No spikes on your on your shoes? No, no, no spikes, no, no, because if you wore those, you'd have to take them off to go into, they have heated tents there um, because you're sharing facilities uh, with okay. a Russian research base. Right. Um, yeah, so if you had spikes, you have to take them off and it would just be too much of a hassle. So oh. now you you, <laughs> you did well in that race, didn't you? I did. You came? I came first to... female and eighth overall. So and I actually beat... Out of how many? There were 44 competitors. Wow. So I beat 27 men. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> wow. Which was, yeah, that was... I, I completely surprised myself. It was just one of those awesome, amazing runs in life. So at the end of that race... I take it the elation would have been pretty. It, it was, would have been up there. Ah, oh, it was amazing. I, you know, I because I wasn't in first place the whole way. I was only in first place for the last couple of laps. What I'd happened? worked so hard to, you know, to steadily go, you know, build my way up through the field, hmm. and uh, just running those final two laps in first place, and just that far within to hang on to that that first place and not lose it and get to that finish line first, you know, that fighting Aussie spirit. <laughs> and for me, you know, that was such a defining moment in life. I'd turned 50, I'd survived cancer, I'd somehow managed, you know, to learn how to run and I'd cross that finish line first as an Aussie surf lifesaver. I was wearing my, my red and yellow cap <laughs> to anchor my beanie and balaclava awesome. together. It was an incredible moment in life. And... Mm. Um, so you say you did that, and a normal yes. person might at that point say, okay, well, I've achieved a lot, now I'll go to knitting. But no, <laughs> Heather's decided to move to the next level. I have. So tell us about oh, the they're, next level. And, and I'm surprised that you found another level. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's more to come by the looks of it. <laughs> oh, there is. <laughs> so, so the next yes. one was? This is called the World Marathon Challenge. And it was run in January 2016, and it comprises of running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Oh, my God. So it's running 295 kilometres in 168 hours and spinning around the world. It's a pretty epic so challenge. So you finish the first part, you yes. jump on a plane. That's right. You arrive, yep. you sleep. Yeah, it. well, you're mainly sleeping on the planes at this point, eating oh aeroplane food, sleeping, hopping off, getting changed in the airport terminal into your fresh running gear, heading to the location <laughs> and running. You didn't feel stiff as a board coming off the plane? Oh, like look, there, there would be times where, yes, you'd start the run running like a pirate because, you know, my, my legs would be stiff. It's natural. Your body hasn't had yeah. the opportunity to recover from the last one. So, so seven in seven. Yeah, which and is absolutely epic. And the beautiful thing was the final marathon was in Sydney. 
and, oh, okay. and even though it was the run in the middle of the night, we started at half past 11 at night just to get within that time frame. Um, my friends came, my neighbours, family, you know, it was, it was wonderful to have that support for that final race. And where, and what was the outcome of that race? Where, where did you fare in that? So I ended up coming third place overall, uh, female, which was, wow. which was absolutely epic. And that Amazing. final run was my fastest marathon of the whole lot, really? which goes to show, you know, the incredible, yeah, home once, ground, the support. Once again, that, that, that fire within you, yeah. which seems to be burning very bright. So, yes. so we finished that. Yep. And that was, that was 2016. So yep. the next challenge was... So that was trekking the Great Himalayan Trail. I had three weeks from the World Marathon Challenge to break my trekking boots in, get my gear organised uh, and set off on this five-month trek across the rooftop of the world. With how many people? So there, I had uh, my daughter, Beck, mm-hmm. uh, who's, who's 24, uh, and my son, Cal, who's 22. Beck's boyfriend, Matt, came with us. Yep. And then there was one other guy, Florian, from um, Switzerland, who did the full traverse with us. And we did it um, with World Expeditions, so they were absolutely incredible. You know, amazing Sherpas, guides, cook team, porters. Yeah, it was like a a great big family, basically, yeah, trekking from east to west. And how long was how long was that? How long did that take? Oh, just a so stroll, that was stroll uh, down the road, was it? Yeah, yeah so that was uh, one thousand seven hundred kilometres. At what altitude? We got up to six thousand one hundred eighty nine metres. So we were wow, up in hard. some pretty thin air, mm. uh, up on fixed lines. I'd never done mountaineering before, so. We had some some great lessons on the way as we were climbing up to um, yeah those heights as we were acclimatising, learning how to use all the yeah the climbing equipment, which was pretty phenomenal. Okay, so you're on top of the world yes. for more reasons than one, <laughs> and you finish this craziness. Yeah. <laughs> some, some people, yes, some, people would, some people would say nuts. <laughs> I, I, I know. Yeah, well, I'm I would here. too. I'm saying, I'm saying nuts, but anyway. <laughs> You look like a normal person. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so, uh, that's how so, I get away with it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, of course. So you've um, so uh, I don't know even know where to go with this next question. <laughs> so you finished that with yes. your kids, which would be mm. amazing. Doug's back in the chalet. Pretending his knees are no good yeah. so, so he could sip a beer. My, my I'm waiting for him. Yeah, <laughs> my yeah. dodgy knees. And, um, and you get you then get a brain spark to go, I'm going to write a book. Is that Was that the next thing? Well, you know what? When, when Doug was busy keeping life and soul together here, he was also talking to a publisher, which was absolutely brilliant. So when I came home, I had one initial meeting and they said, we've got a contract uh, for you. And this is through Murdoch Books. Uh, we'd love you to write about your journey through cancer. Uh, yeah, that adventurous spirit that you've you've seemed to have found within. Um, and we'll give you five months. <laughs> we know you like challenges. Think of it as a carrot and not a stick. Yeah. <laughs> and and just go for it. So I did. I spent basically the summer months uh, writing writing my memoirs, which has been an incredibly profound experience. So, sorry, did that happen by accident or Doug specifically went out to approach a publisher about your story? Well, when I was, I was talking with Doug on the satellite phone, we were about a, probably about two-thirds of the way across the Himalayas, and I said, you know what, one day I would love to write a book about this. <laughs> and so he thought, okay. No well, time like the present, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. So he met um, with, the, you know, with World Expeditions and 
they they said, yeah, brilliant idea. And then we got in contact uh, with uh, Lou Johnson, uh, who works with Murdoch Books. And so it just all fell into place. So wow. incredible trust that they had in me that I, mm. I could actually write. Um, and, and, yeah, let me do it. And, and that brings us to now. Yes. Here we are today. Well, no, no, no. Just, just, a, just a, a question on the practicalities <laughs> of writing a book. You yeah. did actually punch out the words yourself. You didn't I did. use a ghostwriter like I a lot of not. sportsmen and women do. No. no. They are all my, my own words. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. So you can I'd have, string a sentence I together. I can. I can put a few words together, which is, which is, um, which is great. So, so basically, describe the book to us. You know, tell us about, uh, tell our listeners what yeah. the book is about. Yeah. So the way that I've, I guess I've shaped it, we, we start out on the Great Himalayan Trail, hanging off a high mountain pass, um, and then move into, I guess, my growing up years, uh, and then being, yeah, just, a, I guess, a, an adventurous spirit a little bit. Uh, when I was young, in my 20s, I went off travelling through the outback, uh, worked on a cattle station for a year, and then came to Sydney, fell in love, got married, had a very normal life raising kids up until the point where I, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I do share incredibly openly about that whole experience of uh, yeah, getting through that point and then becoming a surf lifesaver and then my preparations, yes, for all these other events in my life. Um, and I've kept diaries, so there are snippets of my diaries uh, within it. And then the book finishes back on the Great Himalayan Trail as we're reaching the, you know, our final destination at the Tibetan border. Very thin, very tired, but absolutely elated, you know, to, to reach that goal. It sounds like a like a mm. great great segue. Yeah, you know, and yes. but, but but it seems like mm. listening to you describe your life that way. It seems like normal was only a short period of your your life. Yeah, the time you got <laughs> married and had kids. Yeah, before that you had this this travelling bent, this urge to go and go and you know seek out the world and do things. Yeah, I did. And you I put did. that to rest for a bit. I did. And I think, you know, as, as a child growing up, my, my dad was quite adventurous in that he, uh, he had a, an old Peugeot back in the 50s and drove around Australia. Very odd for an Aussie <laughs> yeah. to have a Peugeot. <laughs> yeah. I would say eclectic. Yes. He'd done a bit of research and I think, was it the Paris to Dakar? Apparently mm. Peugeots were doing really That's well using, at that yeah, point in time. Yeah. So he had an old bread wagon and thought, you know what, I'm going to go for a drive and I'll go all the way around. So, and I think, you know, listening to, to his love of travel, that's what really inspired me to get out there and have my own journey. I've yes. heard, and I, which is not related to that, but I've heard that there's a point from many stories I've heard where people get that sort of news like, I've got cancer, mm. and, it, and it, there's, there's a moment which shifts your life forever. Yes, how, can you describe it? I mean, is it something you can describe? Is it a feeling? Is it a conscious thing? Or It is because you really are faced with two decisions. You can either retreat from life and be mm. fearful mm. and just want to wrap yourself up in cotton wool um, and then kind of be, be defined from that period on. Or you can choose to go down the pathway and, uh, and just be as brave as you possibly can and live life to the full. And that is, you know, just something that, uh, you know, I thought about in those early days from my diagnosis. I thought, I want to be brave and I want to get through this and I, I want to then encourage other women who have been diagnosed with ovarian cancer or, or anybody who's, who's going through a tough time in life 
that you know you can push through. Mm. It may not be pretty at times. It might be tough, and you might feel vulnerable, but you can still be brave and you can still be strong, and you can get out there and give life your best shot. Lean into it, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you also clearly demonstrate the wonderful mm. adaptability of human beings. Yes. That yes. Uh, we're often we're often loath to change our paradigms. Yeah. I think I think very people much. like their. The, mm. the, the safety of no change. Yeah, mm. you know, yes. It's comfortable, but there often isn't there often isn't growth in that. I don't think you know. That's well. Right. It, mm. Speaking of which, how would you say that you've grown as a human being? I think I I have a much better appreciation of what life is about, how precious it is, how important family is, and to do things as a family. And to have great relationships, you know, with your partner and with your kids mm. uh, and just nurture those. Um, and then I think, you know, just just find what, what your passion is, find a dream of yours and just go for it. Don't put it off. Think, yeah, I'll get around to it. No, make plans and do them today. So one day everything's normal. Yes. The next day or the next moment mm. everything changes yes. when you sit in that doctor's office and they say this is what's happening, Heather. Yeah. And you've chosen to embrace it and move forward, which mm. which is what our, our podcast is all about. It's about inspirational people and stories and... Mm. You certainly have one, and albeit a little bit nuts. But. Yeah, well, well. Speaking of nutty, I mean, I can't, I can't. How can you top what you've done? Yeah, what's today? next? What's yes. Have you got something in mind? I do. Is it a secret? No, oh, no. Oh, oh. I had. There is one secret which will be coming up, but I, there are two events, uh, two things that I'm doing that I can share with you at this point. Good. So I'm actually heading back to Nepal, not for five months, <laughs> but for three weeks to help lead a trek to Everest Base Camp to raise funds for cancer research, which okay. is absolutely epic. So that's coming up in October. And there's actually three places still available. So if anyone is wanting to come and join us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, how, yeah. Would they, how would they get in touch with you, How would you, they get Heather? in touch yeah. with you, Heather? So if they want to um, either message me on my Facebook page, Heather Hawkins Adventurous Spirit, or if they go onto the World Expeditions um, um, website page, they have a, a fundraising arm called Humor Charity Challenge. And if you type in um, Heather Hawkins Everest um, Challenge, yep. it should pop up and they'll have all the information about it. Wow. And it's an epic um, trek. Uh, we're not running, we're walking and we're going to Everest Base Camp, which okay. is so a phenomenal place. So that's number one. Place. What's the second one? Number two is another, um, another, sorry, another marathon. But it's, well, I won't be joining you for that one. Uh, sure. I, can, I can hear what's going on. I know. Uh, and it's, called, volcanoes, it's it? called the Volcano Marathon. Oh, it is. And was... it's run in the Atacama Desert in Chile at four and a half thousand metres altitude. Now, I, I, I watched a documentary on that desert. Yes. And it is inhospitable. Yes. Yeah. yes. And it is a scorcher. Yes. And you plan to run through it? I plan to, yeah, run 42.195 Ks. Well, I hope you, get, I hope you keep well hydrated. I mean, th yes. there's, there's a, a mm. you know, logistical exercise in itself. Yes. How do you hydrate yourself <clears throat> running through a desert unless you run at night? And That's at right. altitude. Yes, yes. So it's kind of worked out so well. I'm going over to Nepal, so I'll come back acclimatised. I have four days in between returning and then flying out oh, to Chile. Okay. Uh, and I'll also wear a hydration pack um, while I run. So I'll, at least I'll be able to carry two litres and they will have support stations. 
so we can refuel. And I believe they have oxygen cylinders at those support stations as well. Wow. Just to help. Wow. So, mm. Well, I can only think of uh, two, two, two more horizons for you, like running a marathon. On the moon? On the moon <laughs> and under the sea. <laughs> I mean, what's left? Uh, <laughs> now, don't give me ideas. <laughs> well, yeah, it's possible. Just and, speak and to Richard Branson yeah. or Elon Musk. They, they'll make it happen. And meantime, you, uh, it, it, do you do mm. the, um, the India, uh, India trip with Doug for the, yes. for the uh, so. nippers? Yes, um, so in, in December we're, we're planning to go over and, uh, and help set up the very first uh, surf life-saving club over there uh, in India, which is really exciting. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, if George and I had done our bronze, we'd be coming with you. Mm. Yeah. Maybe uh, next time. Yes, um, definitely next time. <laughs> I definitely think next time. Look, I don't know if there's any more that can be said about you, Heather, that other mm. than crazy. No, no, <laughs> just no remarkable is the word that, that um, and inspirational springs to mind. Well, and the title of your book and when it's coming out and uh, where people can find it. And will it be an audi- audible book? Yes, it is. I, I have actually just wow, finished great. reading it. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I auditioned and got accepted to read my own book. I saw that on your Facebook page. Yeah, that's great. Yes, it's not a given. So, um, mm. yeah, so it's taken me yeah three sessions and we've, we've got it nailed. And uh, so that's really exciting. So um, everything comes out on the 23rd of August. So okay. you can either buy it at the local bookshop, um, at a local Kmart, Target. Uh, you can uh, order it online through Booktopia or Book Depository if you're overseas. Uh, and also as an Audible book uh, through audible.com.au. That's amazing. So, Heather, I, I, I must admit I, I read through your um, all your bio and photos and stuff, but I didn't. In one of our questions always is, what's your favourite song? Yes. Did you say that? I, 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 I do. It's Under the Milky Way by The Church. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> An oldie but a goodie. Well, let me tell you, um, the you lead singer, them, I know them well, but the mm. lead singer, I'm certainly, he would sleep through the first part of any marathon. Why? Well, because he's a bit, he's a slow moving dude. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a wonderful song. Song and yes. I do know those boys well, and um, it is a great song. To um, under the Milky Way is a great way to finish today's interview, mm. George. I must say, yeah. I'm I'm impressed, Heather. Thank you. You, you, yes, you lend inspiration to people. Yeah. Oh, well, which thank is, you very which much. Which is awesome, and hopefully, we can get you back in after you've done yes the the chili. Yeah, that, love that'll to. be your sequel, right? Yeah, that your will, book? yes, yes. And the the next um, event next year that uh, is a fairly epic one over several days. But I'll I'll leave it at that. Otherwise, Keep I'll spill at, the yeah. beans. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a top secret. That well, is. Wow. I'll so we might get in... you back after the Everest and Chile trip and, yeah. and see how you've gone. Yep, if fantastic. Okay. And I can make the announcement for you for the next one. Right. How's that? <laughs> Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Thanks Heather. so much for oh, coming you. in. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Take care. <laughs> thank you. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination 
Something that's shimmering and white 